Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, so good to see you. My name's Nate. Good to be the pastor here at New City. It's Father's Day, so I want to say happy Father's Day. And uh, in addition to that, I want to give a gift to all the young dads at New City. It seems as though COVID's been good for babies, and so we've had a lot of babies born recently. I don't know what that's all related to, but they've had, we've had a lot of babies, and so if you're a new dad or, you know, I just want to give you a, a few things, all right, just a few tips, all right? So five things dads say on car trips. Put this together. This is my own list. You can come up with your own, all right, one day. But uh, these are the top things, five things I guess my kids hear in the car uh, when I'm uh, leading a road trip. And, and here's, here's number five. Uh, hey, do you want to play the alphabet sign game? Uh, usually this is predicated by, uh, hey guys, when I was a kid, all we had for entertainment was our imagination, right? We didn't have a TV attached to the vehicle itself. We had our minds to keep us busy. So let's play like the alphabet game. And it's usually like, you know, some convincing there. All right, number four, uh, can you hold it until the next exit? This is my favorite. Uh, and then, you know, if you're really courageous, take bets on how long they can hold it. How many exits do you think they can go? You know, and so you can really get, uh, you know, cruel with that one. All right. Uh, I, I like this one, number three. If you don't stop, I'm gonna. Now, this has to be a veiled threat. So this is a pro tip for you, uh, for you dads. Don't, don't fill in what you're going to do. That they just, you just need to make them afraid that you're going to do something. So you got to say, if you don't stop it, guys, I'm gonna. Because I've I I filled in the blank before, and I've said, if you don't stop, I'm going to turn this car right around. And then one of the voices from the back says, Dad, we're two minutes from where we're going. And I'm like, okay, you're right. I'm not turning around. I never intend to go anywhere but where we're going. But you better stop it, you know. So if you don't stop, I'm going to. Don't fill it in, all right. Uh, and so uh, the, I think th this, is, this is good. All right, this is really, really good. All right, this is, man, okay, have this in your hip pocket. All right, you need, you need this. Young dads, have this in your hip pocket. Number two, top five things, dads say, 10 more minutes, all right. Ten more minutes. It doesn't matter how long it is. Just ten more minutes. You know, it's like, how, when are we going to stop to eat? Ten more minutes. Uh, how, when are we going to get there? Ten more minutes. I mean, you just need to have that in your hip pocket. It doesn't matter how long it is. Just ten more minutes. Just write that down. That's a pro tip, all right? All right, so it, before, don't, don't show the number one yet. Uh, uh, but here, here's, here's the deal on the number one, okay? Uh, this, I don't know why this is true, uh, but every dad does it. I don't know why this is true, but every dad does it. Pro prove me wrong. All right, I challenge you. Prove me wrong. Every dad on a car trip says, look, a cow. Just, I don't know why. Look, I mean, every time. Look, a cow. Hey, guys, cows. I don't know why, but every dad does it. You're on a road trip, and they're like, cows, hey. And if you're really lucky, look, a deer. Guys, a deer, a deer. You know, it's like, I don't know why dads do it, but they do. All right, happy Father's Day. Glad you're here. All right, my sermon today is on anxiety, okay? My sermon's on anxiety. 
Uh, and so happy Father's Day as a gift for you. All right? But here's the interesting thing about this passage uh, that we just read. And, I, I, and I, don't, I don't know why. It's just one of those times when you're reading the text, something comes up to you, you know. And I was reading some N.T. Wright this week and looking at the text and going, man, this is something I haven't seen before. Uh, Jesus connects our anxiety, uh, uh, particularly our anxiety over money in this passage, but our anxiety to our relationship to time. In fact, he says, hey, I'm going to do something. I'm going to treat your anxiety with time. That's what he does. It's almost wild when you see it in the text. Uh, the reason why I say over money, because that's kind of the, the, the topic. So the reading started with verse 25, therefore. So you've got to see what the therefore is there for. So you go to verse uh, 24, and Jesus says, hey, you can't serve both God and money. And so he says, I want to have clear here, uh, you, you've got to seek the first things first. So you can't serve God and money. And then he says, therefore, verse 25. Don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to put on, all the things that money buys, what you're going to eat, your mortgage. Don't be concerned. Don't, don't be anxious about it. And then he does this really wild thing. He says in verse 26, look. Uh, the word here, look, is like look intently. Uh, I think a good, tr a good you know, sort of close word would be study. Study the birds of the air. And it's almost like Jesus goes into full-blown hippie mode. Like, hey, uh, guys, uh, slow down a second. Just look. Watch the birds. Watch how they eat. Uh, wh watch, watch how they, they're gathering. And he says, like, uh, in this connection with the birds and the looking and the studying and the slowing down, he says something about time. He says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? <laughs> he says, like, your anxiety, it's... It's not helping you. In fact, you're not present right now because you're so anxious about something that's happened in the past or something that could happen in the future. You don't trust God with your daily bread like the birds. I mean, the birds are, are they're not stressed out. They're, good. they're gathering, they're storing. They're, I mean, they're, they're flying down from the tree and they're eating and they're flying up back into the tree and there's no concern about the past. There's no concern about the future. They're just present because they're trusting God and you're more precious than they are. Don't, what, what's your anxiety really even doing for you? I mean, are you gaining any more time with your anxiety, or is your anxiety just stealing your time? And he says, consider the lilies. Like, Jesus. He says, like, hey, examine this flower and its beauty. He, he says, it's, it's more beautiful than Solomon, and just consider it. Look at it. I mean, it's unbelievable. In fact, he argues, like, be present, guys, because tomorrow has enough, you know, trouble of its own. Just Look and, and consider. The word here, consider, just is, is consider intently. Like to, this is like to contemplate the lily, contemplate the flower. This is what's interesting. Is Jesus is sort of arguing, hey, if you want to treat your anxiety, you've really got to slow it down. You've really got to slow it down and look. You've really got to slow it down and consider. I, I challenge you, all right, double dog dare you, challenge you to find a place in the Bible where Jesus is hurrying. You will never find a place in the Bible where Jesus is in a hurry. I mean, you just won't find it. Like, there's never a part, a part a place in the Bible where Jesus is like, hey guys, the lording thing has really gotten to me, I'm just really stressed out right now, you know? Like, I just really, I just need, you know, I just need a time out. Like, what happens, like, with Jesus is Jairus comes to him, and he's like, my daughter's dying, and he's like, okay, I'll get there, and then some lady touches him, and he's like, I gotta spend some time with this lady, and then the daughter dies, and the entire time he's not stressed out, and he just goes and raises her from the dead. Like, he's not hurried. Like, he's not hurried, like, he's not in a hurry, ever, anywhere. 
John Ortberg, who's like a really spiritual guy, asked Dallard Willard, who's a, like an even more spiritual guy, a question, right? And so you may not know, <laughs> I say that because you're like, who's Ortberg and who's Willard? I don't know those guys, you know? And so uh, you may not know those guys, but it's like a spiritual guy asked a really spiritual guy this question. What do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? And the really spiritual guy said to the spiritual guy, <laughs> you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I think anxiety and hurriedness seem to be close friends of money. And money is just symbolic of work, job, all the things we do to gather things. And if money becomes your master, anxiety will become your frenemy. That's like just the way it goes. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, nor about your mortgage or anything else. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Slow down just for a second and think about it. Anxiety is a thief. Anxiety is a thief. Anxiety about the past and anxiety about the future always robs the present. It just does. H how, how many times in life have you not been able to be present with the people who you love most because the anxiety of the past has dominated the moment or the anxiety about the future has overcome you and you just simply can't be present? And here Jesus goes, you know what, don't be anxious. In fact, look, consider. Is your anxiety adding anything to your time or is it just taking it away? In a way, Jesus is saying time is more valuable than treasure. This is, I mean, I think it gets a little deep here. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, gather into barns, and, <laughs> and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Let me just, just turn it a little bit. You can always go make more money, but what can't you not make more of? time it is it is running look at the birds Ar aren't you more valuable than they like look at them <laughs> here's an interesting thing all right never before i mean think about it never never before in human history have we had more time-saving devices at our disposal, and yet we are no less hurried? I mean, it's wild, isn't it? I can do things with my phone that used to take me, like, weeks to do. In his book, John Mark Cromer, he wrote a book uh, called Ruthlessly Eliminating Hurry, which was built on that Ortberg quote I read earlier. And he said, labor-saving devices really do save time. So where did it all the time go? Answer, we spent it on other things. The 1960s, futurists all over the world, you won't believe this, from sci-fi writers to political theorists, thought by now we'd be all be working fewer hours. One famous Senate subcommittee in 1967 was told that by 1985, the average American would, would work only 22 hours a, a week for only 20 <laughs> 27 weeks a year. Everybody thought the main problem in the future was going to be more leisure time. 
Can you believe that? Like, like people were looking at the future going, man, these time-saving devices, we're all going to be lazy in the future. And here's the reality. Some of you have done work while you've been sitting here in church. Like you, you've texted somebody, you've emailed somebody, you replied to something. You're like, you did work because you can't stop. A recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. Catch this, all right? This is awesome. You know this is true. Like, it, wait, wait, this is like you don't have to even know the study, but you know this is true. Just being in the same room as our phones, even if they are turned off, will reduce someone's working memory and problem-solving skills. Translation, they make us dumber. As one summary of the report put it, if you grow dependent on your smartphones, it becomes a magical device that silently shouts your name at your brain all the time. And so you're just sitting there in the phone, even if it's off, even if it's in the corner of the room, it's going, check me. You might have missed something. The world might be on fire and you don't know it. There's a reason to be outraged and you don't have it. You know, it's like just like speaking to you. It's just like calling your name. This is, this is so funny. Cue the terrifying trend. Our attention span is dropping with each passing year. In 2000, before the digital revolution, it was 12 seconds. So not exactly like we had a lot of wiggle room. But since then, it's dropped to, to 8 seconds. To put things in perspective, a goldfish has an attention span of 9 seconds. Y like, you have a smaller attention span than a goldfish. Like, this is, this is not helping. Our phones are not helping. What are our phones illustrating? Well, our phones illustrate that we don't just hurriedly work for money. It's much worse. We are hurriedly working for significance, uh, trying to prove our value. I think much of our anxiety, not all of our anxiety, some anxiety is like legitimate, like I have anxiety about health or anxiety about this or that. You know, some anxiety is legitimate, but much of our anxiety is related to our self-worth. It's related to not really feeling okay with yourself. And look, money is a tool that we use to get after the thing the heart longs for most. It's to be seen as worthy, to have a judgment. You know, part of the reason why we feel so connected to our phones and we feel so connected to our work and we feel so hurried all the time is because we're looking for an affirmation out there somewhere that just says, you're okay, you can rest now. It's all, it, it's all okay. But we have this unsettling sort of thing in our soul that says, I'm not okay, it's not okay, and I have to be hurried working because nothing's okay and i got to make it okay. So I'm going to ask you a question. I really want you to think about this question for a little bit. And I often say, uh, you know, I've said this for many years at New City, that, most, that everybody has two fundamental needs, like every human being. Like if you want to be a healthy human being, you have these two needs. Uh, you have the need to be known and you have the need to be loved. But most people will settle for just being loved because they fear if they're known, they won't be loved. And so here's the question I want to ask you. Well, what would it feel like to be known, like really known? What I mean by really known is, like, really known. What would it look like to be really known? To be really loved by the person who really knows you. And, at the same time, to be found beautiful. Like what would it feel like for someone to really know you? To really love you? And to see what's beautiful in you? Jesus says, consider the lilies. Like, seriously. I've got a rose bush uh, that doesn't produce very many roses. It's kind of a terrible, like, you know, what do you call it? 
horticulturalist. Nobody calls it that. Gardener? Gardener? I'm a terrible gardener. And so I have a rose bush that bears like no, you know. But when it does, <laughs> it's wild, man. The, the smell of the rose, like right in the patio, right where I sit, you can smell it. And it's beautiful, and you can see it. It's just red, you know. And, and then the, the, the silky texture of the petals, I mean, they're, they're, they really are. I mean, they're delicate. They're beautiful. I will, I will stop and smell them. I will look at them. I will admire them. But just, just consider Consider the flowers in your garden. I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, he was more beautiful than these flowers. <laughs> but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, if these wildflowers are here and then they're gone, will he not much more clothe you, or you have little faith? Jesus is beginning to sort of tip the scales because do, do you do you see yourself the way God sees you? Can you? See, anxiety is an emotional reminder that you're not okay. It's like the Apostle Paul says, you know, I want to do the right thing, but evil lies close at hand. In Romans 7, 19, he's like, I, w- I really want to do the right thing, but I keep doing the wrong thing. And it's just like this anxiety is this constant reminder that I'm not okay. Well, I want to say to you, if sin is a slavery, and that's what that is, that's what you're experiencing, you're experiencing the slavery of sin, when you want to not do sin and you keep doing it, or you want to do the right thing and you keep doing the wrong thing anyway, that's, that's, that's what slavery to sin is, that's what Jesus is freeing us from. So I- if sin is a slavery, listen, anxiety is the master's whip. It's the thing that keeps you hurriedly working all the time, hurriedly working, trying to get free. So the question is, how do you treat anxiety with the gospel? Like, how do you do it? And that's what we want to do here. So just as a matter of like, just like kind of before we walk into it, I just need to deal with some of the things that are in the room here. One is like living <laughs> totally without anxiety sounds to many people as impossible as living totally without oxygen. And some of you need anxiety for your motivation. I've got a friend, he wrote a book. I, I, mean, I call him a friend because we swam in a pool one time together, so now we're friends. But it's like he, he, wrote, he wrote a book <laughs> called Managing Leadership Anxiety. And, and, and another friend of mine was leading a staff team through this book. And my other friend said, hey, I've been leading my staff t- team through this book about managing leadership anxiety. It's all about unleashing anxiety. And he goes, I found that the only motivation I've been ever using as a boss to my employees has been anxiety. Like all of our production in our, in our organization is based on anxiety. I just keep turning up the anxiety and everybody's working out of anxiety and man I don't know how to do it out without anxiety and some of us are so addicted to anxiety we really don't know how to do it without anxiety like, like we like we've we were so trained to live in it all right hear me okay I'm gonna step on I'm gonna step on some some hearts some people are so hooked on anxiety that if they don't have anything to be anxious about they're anxious that they've forgotten something this is me, okay, this is totally, I mean, I'm just going to be, okay, let's just be honest. Like, I, I, the other day, I mowed the yard, I, I was done, and the tools are put away, I'm sitting on the patio, the misters are going, I mean, the environment is right, to so put some golf on and just slow down and relax, and as soon as I did, I immediately felt guilty, like, I got to do something, I should be doing something, this, I'm lazy. How could I be so lazy just to sit here? I mean, something's got to be done. I don't know what needs to be done. I can't even think of one thing that needs to be done, but I'm going to get up and start moving around, and then so I'll figure out something to do, and it, because it's like anxiety is such an addiction. And so here is the gospel treatment anxiety. Slow down. These are all from our text today. Slow down. 
contemplate. I, I, I originally put, think about it really hard, but that's like, it, contemplate really gets the point across. Contemplate. Seek first things first, and then repeat this tomorrow. Let's just take a look at it really quickly. Slow down. Slow down. This is what Jesus does when he says, look at the birds. It's not just like gaze at them or, or happen to catch them in your eyes. The, the word here is to look intently to study. Y you can't do this without slowing down. Look at the birds. Like, be present in the moment. Look at them. If you were saying it in today's context and he was preaching this sermon in today's context, he'd say, guys, turn your phones off, put them away, look at the birds. Pick your head up off the screen. Look at the birds. Perhaps the hardest place to be in life is the present. It's perhaps the hardest place in life to be. Uh, and I'm going to ask you some questions, and I'm just going to, man, I don't know how this is going to go. We'll see. All right, we'll see how this goes. How much of your life do you spend reliving the past? How much of your present life do you spend reliving the past? I am the worst at this, okay? Listen. I'm just gonna, um, you know, sometimes it's dangerous when you're honest. And so I'm just gonna be honest, all right? So I'm even, I'm even letting you know. I'm gonna be honest, right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest here. Here's what happens to me. I will, I will leave a conversation, and I will repeat everything that was said in the conversation in my head all the way from that conversation. Did I say it right? Was I, was I arrogant? Was I humble? Did I, did I, did I misspeak? Did I say it like? Did I, did I exaggerate it all? Did I, was anybody uncomfortable? Do they think they still like? You know, I will revisit every phrase and every word of that conversation just do i wish i didn't i just do a lot of our conversations in our home go back to our family of origin Ooh. <laughs> like oh man and uh, so much of the past just gets relived all the time in the present i mean so much so that there's not much present left when the past has taken the time and don't let me get started on the next question. How much of your life do you spend worrying about the future? <sighs> we, have, we have a 16-year-old. I'm like, oh, we got to pay for college. You know, it's like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe you'll be a track star. I don't know. You know, <laughs> you know it's like, we're like looking, we're like, you know, you're looking at the future. Going, oh, I've got so much to worry about. And there's so many things to be worried about in the future. And I, I don't know. Have we done enough? Have we planned enough? Have we, you know, and it's like so much of the future comes creeping up. And, and, and so I just ask the question this way. Do you even know what it feels like to be present? Like feels like? Because so much of our present, like if we're not worrying about the future, we're, we're the, the past is already taken the rest of the airtime. It just feels like, man, there's just not, I mean, there's just so much anxiety. Trusting Jesus is the key to slowing down. Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. They don't have a savings account. Yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. They trust God for their daily bread. And are you not more valuable than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Let me just press in. For, for Jesus to be Lord of your present, Jesus also has to be Lord of your past, and He also has to be Lord of your future. Which means, if you want Jesus to be Lord of the present, you want Him to carve out space in the present, you have to let Jesus pay the debt of the past and secure the inheritance of the future. 
And if you want to be present in the present, and Jesus, then you have to say, Jesus, the, the past, the debt's been paid, and it no longer needs to be paid off anymore. I don't have to keep revisiting it over and over and over again because I'm free from the past. And I don't have to worry about the future because my future is secure in you, eternally secure in you because I'm a son or a daughter of the king. And all that is yours, Lord Jesus, is mine because of the gift of grace. I don't have anything to worry about in the future and because my future is secure and my past is paid for. I can be present. And it's only when those realities settle in for you that the present can really take shape. The gospel is not you have, you can, or you will do it. They make for great Nike commercials, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus has, Jesus is, and Jesus will do it. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And if you want a mantra for slowing down, here's the mantra for slowing down. I can't, he did, because he did, I can. You cannot become a Christian unless you can confess, I can't. Like it's the most important confession is to say, I can't do it on my own. I haven't done it in the past. I can't do it in the future. I won't do it now in the present. I can't. If you could, Jesus doesn't leave heaven, come to earth, live the life that you should have lived, die the death that you should have died, been buried in the grave, rose again to conquer your sin and death. None of that happens if you could do it. You can't do it. But he did it for you. He lived the life that you should have lived. He did it for you. The debt's been paid. The future's been secured. He did it for you because he did he can. You see, Jesus has saved you from your past. He has secured your future so you can be still in the present. Like, that's how it works. Look at the birds. Aren't you more precious than they are? <laughs> he has provided you so much more than your daily bread. He's paid off your debts. He's secured your future so you can be present in the now. So slow down. And contemplate. Contemplate. Think about it. Or, in the words of Jesus, consider the lilies of the field. They grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Okay, let's walk into it. Should happens, okay? It does. People should on you every day. They tell you what you should do, what you shouldn't do, how you should be, how you shouldn't be, and they're all day long shooting on you, and even worse, you should on yourself. And you wake up in the morning and you say, I should do this, or I should do that, or I should be this way, or I should be that way. And it's just important for you to know that Jesus was everything you should be but have failed to be. And all the shoulds of life can be resolved. Because this is true. For our sake, for your sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God. Let me just help you. Jesus makes you right. And you may see, like when you look in the mirror, you may see all that's wrong. When you look in the mirror, you go, I really should be more like, I really shouldn't. 
And when you look in the mirror, you may just see everything that you're not, and everything that you wish you were, and everything you could, you could be but aren't, and all your failed potential. But I want you to know, when Jesus looks at you, he sees you right. It's a gift. Christ has taken care of all that has been done. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he's made us, God's made us right. So God sees you. Hear me, friend. God sees you, 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 you. God sees you without all the ugly stuff. God sees you, the beautiful you he made you to be. The right you. The you without all the ugly. He sees it. If you could, like if you could, like for a second, like just even a millisecond, walk in front of the gaze of the Father as he looks at you. You would see in his eyes that he sees you completely and wholly redeemed and restored. He sees who he has made you to be. He sees you exactly who you are supposed to be. He sees you as a beautiful lily of the, of the valley, only much more precious. I can tell you, if you could but catch the, gla- the gaze of the Father, looking at you that way, game changer. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he testifies inside of you. He says, you are a child. It's the spirit of adoption speaking out to you. You are a child of the Father. When he looks at you, he sees you made right by Jesus. He sees you. So be still, friend. Think about it. Be still. Think about it. Jesus made you beautiful. And he is proud to call you a son or daughter. Man. The beauty of the gospel is that none of it rests upon anything you've done. It all rests upon what Christ has done. So it can't be taken away. It can't be added to. You just receive it by grace. Just receive it. And man, if you could know that kind of relationship with the Father, it will transform you. And you can confess with Isaiah, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. What other clothing could I possibly want to buy? Slow down. Contemplate. And seek first things first. Seek first things first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his, his justice way of life his just way of life, and all these things will be added to you. To put it in the words of C.S. Lewis, he sums up appropriately, he says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you'll get neither. N.T. Wright, looking at this passage, of course, because we live in a world filled with anxiety, it's easy to let it rub off on us. So the underlying principles of the whole Sermon on the Mount come together at this point in a huge but exhilarating challenge, God's kingdom and the way of life that goes with it, the righteousness or covenant behavior, the way of life that marks out God's people. These are the things you should aim at. And then you'll find that food and drink and clothing look after themselves. Let me put it this way. Worshiping the creator rather than the creation doesn't devalue the creation. It helps you to appreciate the purpose and beauty of it. And what you get a chance to do when you worship God and you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, the right way of living of the kingdom as illustrated in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what you will see is that 
the things that you're worrying about have a way of figuring themselves out. God's concerned about the things that concern you. I think that's important. And I don't know why I included this part in the message, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. It's kind of like a little bit of an aside. Because every time I talk about the gospel of grace, and I tell people to slow down or calm down, there's always some young, ambitious person that goes, but what motivation do I have for working? <laughs> and where does that motivation come from? You were made to be kings and queens. You may not know that about yourself, but that's what you were made to be. When God created heaven and earth, he said to Adam and Eve, have dominion, be kings and queens. Like, fill the earth, subdue it. Like, this is like, you know, this is what God gave humanity to do. So your heart naturally longs for more. Like, that's a part of you. It's a part of humanity. To have, like, this inside, like, this hunger. To organize things, to be industrious, to start things, to do new things. Like, this is part of how God made you. This is the good part about how God made you. It's tainted by anxiety for a lot of us, but it's a good part about how God made you. So he made you be kings and queens, and your heart naturally longs for more, but more is never enough. And more always longs for more in the broken world. <laughs> Only God can give you what your heart longs for. You see, the Ecclesiastes says God has put eternity in the hearts of men. He's put eternity in your heart. He's put this deep desire for more in your heart. But more of this broken, finite world isn't going to satisfy. Only God satisfies. And so to turn the corner here, just so as a matter of helping you out, in the book, The Deeply Formed Life, Rich, by the way, this book, The Deeply Formed Life, I'm about to quote from, Juneteenth was yesterday, and if you want to read a great spiritual formation of racial reconciliation, there's three chapters in the Deeply Formed Life. Phenomenal. He says this, Educator and activist Parker Palmer makes a compelling case that burnout typically does not come about because we've given so much of ourselves that we have nothing left. He tells us burnout comes because, well, it reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. And when you seek the finite world, you're going to find the resource within you is finite. But when you seek the, seek the infinite God, you'll find that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God has a way of working within you to will and act according to his good purpose. You'll find eternal power. And so, treatment for anxiety, slow down. Contemplate. Seek first things first, his kingdom and righteousness. And then repeat this tomorrow. And listen to this final wisdom Jesus gives. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So be present. And Jesus will, if you let him, help you to be present. He will. But someone here today may just, uh, you know, you, you may not have had that experience of Jesus paying off the debt and Jesus securing the future. And if you haven't, today's your day to turn to him.